from St. Matthew's Gospel, and going into the house, the wise men saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. Merry Christmas and Happy Epiphany. You get a twofer today, because actually today is not the Epiphany. The Epiphany is the 6th of January, always. Uh, but I have chosen, as I'm allowed to by the bishop, to move the Feast of the Epiphany, the celebration of it anyway, to this Sunday. So today we're going to be talking about the visit of the wise men. And what we're going to be talking about is not turbans and camels and that sort of thing, but instead something a little more profound. Um, if you were here on Christmas Eve, you know that I preached the Christmas sermon with the idea of these Jewish shepherds in the field at night. They're Jewish. And the angels appear and preach to them and remind them of the scriptures, and they go to Bethlehem to see the birth of this child. But this morning, it's a radically different angle. In fact, the shepherds were these nobodies of no account, Jewish. And then today on the Epiphany, we see the exact opposite. We see Gentiles, men of power and wealth. We three kings of Orient are. They are neither kings nor from the Orient. That's another matter. But I want to show you something which is just really cool because God reveals himself to these Gentiles not through an appeal to, to the Old Testament, but through signs. And I'll submit this to you this morning. Unless you are a person of Jewish heritage, and you may be, uh, but if you are a Gentile like me, then this conversion is about you. It is your story. In fact, I would submit to you the story of the conversion of the wise men. It's a story which mimics pretty much the story of every person in this room. So we're going to get away. We're going to throw away the sentiment. We're going to throw away all the things you sort of have in your mind about the Feast of the Epiphany and the wise men. No more turbans or camels or frankincense and myrrh. Of course, we did just burn some frankincense. That's another matter. Uh, I want to look at how God reaches people. I want to look at the process of the conversion of the human heart with these wise men as our example with three points this morning. Um, I want to look at how these wise men are converted by, in response to God's sign. That's point number one. Secondly, how they are converted by meeting Jesus face to face. And then finally, how in meeting Jesus they give. So how, how, the, how God provides for these wise men a sign to lead them towards him. Secondly, how they meet Jesus and they are converted. That's powerful. And then finally, how their response is giving. So first thing, a response to God's sign. The evidence that God places in their midst. Matthew says that these wise men from the east came to Jerusalem looking for a king. Now, why do you go to Jerusalem looking for a king? Because Jerusalem is where the king's house is, where the, where the king lived. In fact, the king is already there, named Herod. I'll get to him in a second. But who are these wise men? And what are they? The Greek word is the word majoi. We say magi, but it's majoi. And majoi were not kings, and they weren't from the Orient. In fact, but they were, listen, they were royal advisors to the king. So think of it like this. Think of these wise men as like the president's chief of staff. Someone like that. Someone who's, they are highly educated, highly motivated, wealthy, capable, 
people, the kind of people that they're influencers, right? We would say in today's language, with tremendous political influence and tremendous political power. And their job, these major, their job was one thing, and that was to keep their boss, their king, in the know. Because, you know, when you're a king, you've got to run an empire, right? So you've got to have, you've got to have a fixer. You've got to have a guy that you, or guys or people that you could say, hey, go, go and find this out for me and come back and give me a report. Give me a, uh, write it up and give it to me. You know how this works. And so these Magi go to investigate the birth of this new Jewish king. The Jews were uh, frequently violent, and a new king means you've got to be there to provide some kind of a relationship. So here's the question. Why did they go? Why did they go? And the answer, of course, is simple. Because God gave these wise men, listen, a sign. They responded to the need to investigate, to keep their boss in the loop by a sign that God gave them, a star, which we know the story that God had placed before them. So let's just stop there, put the brakes on for a second, and just consider this. Where has God placed an event in your life that drew you towards him? And it can be anything at all. Think of something God has placed in your life. Call it a sign. The Greek word is and It means something which takes your attention and draws it towards him. Something that God did in your life, and it may be something very profound or very basic, but it changed your concept from God being something as an idea of an ideal to something which was real. Maybe it was something very profound. It could have been. That's frequently the case. Lord knows this has been a profound year for me for a lot of reasons, but maybe, maybe it wasn't all that big of a deal, frankly. You know, stars moving in the heavens is a kind of a profound thing, but it doesn't need to be a profound thing for it to be a sign for you. What it has to be is something that changed you. I'll give you an example. This past Friday, I was talking to a friend of mine. My friend George Anderson called to check in on my family. He said, things are going great. George, thank you for asking. And then he told me a story he'd never told me before, uh, a story about a white tie. And he said that when he was a, y- a young man, 17, 18 years old, his brother, his brothers, they were all going to a Christmas party on Christmas Day, and his brother woke up that morning, and he found that he did not have a white tie, which he had to have. And we all know that on Christmas Day, only two things are open, right? Wawa and Chinese restaurants. (laughs) Neither of which carries a white tie. So George is driving all around in in, uh, Valley Forge, where I grew up, that part of Pennsylvania. And he gets an idea. He goes, oh, I I know. I'm going to go to the Sheraton in Valley Forge. I've actually stayed there. He says, I'm going to go there to their gift shop. They've got to have ties, right? For men that are traveling, they are there for a business trip, and they forget their tie. George's like, there's got to be ties in the gift shop. So after driving around all day, he pulls into the the, uh, the, uh, Sheraton in Valley Forge, goes into the building, says the building is pitch black. There's nothing going on. It's Christmas Day. The gift shop is closed and gated, and he finally notices the front desk, and there's nobody there. So he goes to the front desk, because he, he can see the person in the back watching, I don't know, I Love Lucy or something, who knows what. And uh, he rings the bell. He's, at this point, he's getting pretty desperate. He rings the bell. Ding! And the, uh, this 15-year-old kid comes walking out of the back. 
George intends to get him to open up the gift shop to buy a tie if he can. The man comes, this young kid comes walking out from the back room. May I help you, sir? And the kid is wearing a white tie. True story. So George says, I'll give you everything in my wallet for your tie. And the kid says, you got a deal. So George reaches in, expecting to pull out a hundred bucks. He's got five dollars. The kid takes the five bucks. It was a brand new Brooks Brothers tie. He had won it for the first time that day. The kid gives him the tie, and he says to him, Merry Christmas. And George says to me, you know, I, I, I know this is not a very important story. I know it's not very profound. He said, but, he said, but it changed me. He said, in that moment, I knew God had led me to the Sheraton Valley Forge that God had put all these things into place for me. He goes, at that minute, I knew that God was real. And I said, George, that means for you, that white tie was a sign. Semeion, also translated into the word miracle, if you care. The point I want you to see here is these wise men are an example of the conversion of every human heart. Something or someone God places in our lives and it draws us towards him, a sign. So what about you? Because quite frankly, I don't care about a bunch of uh, majoy. They're dead. I care about you, and I care about what the story tells us about you. And I care about what has God placed in your life to draw you towards him. Maybe, maybe it was something very profound, some kind of a family crisis, or maybe the Lord saved the life of somebody you love, or maybe somebody dodged a bullet on an illness. It could be big. Maybe it's just a white tie, the Sheraton Valley Forge. I don't know. For me, it was teaching scientific method in graduate school. That was a big conversion for me when I finally realized that to teach science, you had to have a God. That's another story for another day. But really, where's your sign? What has God placed in your life? What is it for you where God has put evidence, a sign in your life to draw you towards him? That's the first step. God uses these signs in the skies. To draw, to draw these Majoi towards him in Jerusalem. So, they, so this is my, my second point then. As they're drawn, then he, I see the conversion of the human heart. So these Majoi, they follow the star. It moves, and it leads them to where Jesus was. Now, remember something here. These Magi, there's not three. There may have been five. There might have been two. There might have been 20. We don't actually know. We do know that this would have been an entourage with soldiers and guards and caravans, maybe a hundred people in a, in a train that takes somewhere between three and six months to get from where they were to where they have to be. To get there, it's expensive, it's dangerous, and if you're wrong, man, you may lose your life, not to mention embarrass the big guy, your boss. But they follow this star. They follow this star for months, for days, traveling. I mean, how many times did the wise men hear the story, are we there yet? Right? That's what goes in my mind. Because they don't actually know where they're going. And then suddenly, after months, and suffering, and struggle, and fear, and danger, it happens. Watch this. Matthew says in verse 11, 
going into the house. Again, this is soldiers and all sorts of people. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they, the Magi, fell down and worshipped him. Not honored, worshipped. You know, it's always struck me in the story, there's no introduction, there's no greeting, there's no, hey, nice to meet you. They walk in, they see this kid, and they fall down onto the ground. The Greek word is the word proskeneo. And it means literally to fall to the ground, to be, to be confronted with something so incredibly profound that all you can do, all you can do is hit the deck. Something so life-changing that all you can do is go, my gosh, this has ex- explains everything in my life. This child explains everything. And the thing I want you to see this morning is I don't care who you are, whether you're a shepherd in the field at night or a powerful ancient Near Eastern political advisor or the person in your chair. When you meet Jesus, when you really meet him, you realize that life isn't about you, but that your life is about the God who made you, the God who created you, the God who literally put breath in your lungs right now and gave you the skills and talents and abilities and personality that you have the God that gave you life. That's who you see. And when you experience that, when you experience Christ face to face, all you can do is bow before him. Have a, and, and the Greek word poskeneo is a loaded Greek word, and it means, it means to fall down in submission and humility, but also with a tremendous sense of gratitude. And just think about this, the scene. I mean, here are some of the most powerful men in the ancient Near East. Wealthy, powerful, influential. And they meet, they meet this baby Jesus, this toddler Jesus. And they knew that despite everything in their lives, despite their title and their status and their pedigree, their power, their influence, their wealth, man, it all pales in comparison to this person that they meet named Jesus. And friends, it's always that way. It's always that way. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a couple names. St. Peter, St. Paul, Doubting Thomas, Mary Magdalene, the man on the road to Emmaus. It's only when you meet him face to face that they or you are converted. So here's the question. Have you met him? I don't mean as a concept. I mean as a reality. Has he drawn you towards him and you've met him face to face? You know, Father Gritter preached this past Sunday, which was the day after Christmas, and he preached a really good sermon, and one of the points he made in it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it online, but one thing he said I thought was was a very good point was that we as a church, Trinity Church, are a, a family. And what I mean by that and what he meant by that is that we are all in this together, right? Look around you and you will see people with every person who has a story to tell. Every person that has drawn Christ to him and they've met him face to face. You will see people in a church. One of my favorite things about being a parish priest is this. Getting to know people and their stories and how Jesus has changed their lives for good. 
Hear the stories of all different types of people that have met him and be encouraged by these stories. You know, you will meet Jesus in the lives of other people. Yes, it's at church you'll meet Christ in the scriptures. You'll certainly meet him in the body and blood of the Eucharist. But there's something about meeting people that are Christians, that are walking side by side along with us, who have met Jesus, who worship him, to hear their stories, to talk with them, to encourage them, to be encouraged by them. That's what families do. Let me challenge you to think about this new year getting really engaged in the life of your parish family. You can come to church and you can take off and go to brunch. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but wait a half an hour. Go to coffee hour. Meet some people here. There's some amazing stories and amazing ways that God has changed lives for good. People that have met him and have fallen down and worshipped him. So God leads them and us to him with a sign. They and we meet him and fall down and worship in submission and in gratitude. And then finally, the third thing, and this is kind of weird, but think, stay with me. The very next thing they do is they give. Look at this. These wise men honor Jesus with gifts of, you know this, you've heard it a million times, gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh, right? What toddler wants frankincense for Christmas? I don't know. I wanted Tonka trucks and little army men. Remember those? Anyway. Baby Jesus, he likes frankincense. What can I tell you? You know, but let me challenge you on something for a minute. We, it's kind of funny, we think of these wise men, and again, there may have been 30 of them, and this big entourage coming from Iran to bring gifts for a king, and we like to think of this gift as something like this, which actually Father Josh had to show the kids in the preschool. A little box of gold, it's not real gold, frankincense, well, it is real frankincense, a little box, a little box of gold and frankincense and Murford, a little baby Jesus. Here you go, Jesus, tickle, tickle, right? Let's just think about that for a second. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are all extremely expensive commodities. And if you are a king trying to forge an alliance with another king, you don't send him a box of gold, frankincense, and myrrh like this. What if that gold was a huge amount? What if that frankincense and myrrh, all very expensive commodities, was an enormous sum fit for a king, which it would have been? No king is going to send an ambassador to another king with a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a pickle, right? You're not going to go and bring, no king is going to risk their reputation or the relationship with this new ruler by giving them, by cheaping out with a BOGO from Publix, right? You got to go big, man. Go big or go home, as they say. What I want you to understand is this. I'd never thought about this until this week. What if that gold, that frankincense, and that myrrh was a massive amount of wealth? And what if those kings gave that to him, and that is how Jesus funded his ministry? Stay with me, because the kid grows up, right? He gets up 30 years old. He spends three years with 12 other guys wandering around preaching the gospel. How did he pay for that? He's a tectone. A work, he's a carpenter or a plumber or a stonemason. We don't know exactly. Three years with 15 people and an entourage is a lot of money. Where do you think that money came from? Well, maybe it came from this. Maybe it was the financial giving of the magi, stay with me, 
that funded Jesus' preaching of the gospel in the ancient Near East. Maybe there's why these wise men, in their giving, inadvertently but literally, changed the world. See, when we love someone, we want to give. You know, I, I, I was this past Christmas... We open gifts. We always open our gifts on Christmas Eve. And so we got together on Christmas Eve. And, you know, when I was a little kid, I was always like, yeah, push my brother out of the way and get to the presents and open them first, right? That's what you do as a little kid. But as a grown man, I'm the one now who's giving the gifts to my children and to my wife and got gifts from them as well. But I would rather sit there and just give things. It may, if you think about this, to give somebody a gift, unless you're trying to curry favor, to give someone a gift makes, actually, makes no logical sense, does it? To give somebody something of yourself makes no sense, but we do it anyway. I love to spend money on my children. I love, I enjoy to spending money on my wife, Kathleen. You know why? Because we give those to whom we love. We give to those we love. You guys just did it last weekend on Christmas. These wise men worshiped Jesus and they gave sacrificially to him for one reason. Because in the minute they met him, they loved him. So let me challenge you on this. We're not in stewardship season yet, but we're coming up on it. Do you give to Jesus? Not just trinkets and leftovers. I mean, do you give to Jesus like you give to your kids at Christmas and your spouse? Because, friends, we, we give to those we love. I mean, do you really support the ministry here at Trinity Church? Because, frankly, it's no different then than it was now. These wise men may have funded Christ's entire ministry, and guess what? They gave because they loved him, and because they gave and loved him, he could go out and reach the world with the gospel. It's the same call for us. I give to this church like many of you, because I love Jesus, and I love this parish, and I love the ministry to which, and mission to which we are called. Because, friends, God has led you through the storm to where you are now. You've met him face to face, and we give to those we love. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of the wise men. We thank you, Lord, for their story, for the circumstances you place in our lives to draw us to you. Help us, Lord, to meet you face to face and to give to the mission of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.